0: Father we are grateful for your love that does not let us go and for your word that always speaks into our lives give us ears to hear we pray this through Christ amen please be seated pretty sure you know this but I've come to the realization that that life is unfair and I've also come to the realization that that really bugs me does that bug you that life is unfair it it bothers me that people who don't deserve things get them And people who do deserve them don't get them. It bothers me that that things don't turn out the way I think they should turn out. And I have wrestled with that for as long as I can remember. When I was a child and everybody in America, it seemed like, was watching the Waltons, including my family, I hated that show because bad stuff happens. You know, people get hurt, tragedies take place. And I'm watching them and thinking, okay, what's the next thing that's going to come up? And Little House on the Prairie was the same way. Now, despite the fact that there's always an argument about watching that or Monday Night Football, but that's a whole different discussion to have. But, you know, I I didn't like those shows because unfair things kept happening to people. You know, these children have diseases and and people get injured that seem to be good people and and people who are bad get away with stuff. and, And it just, deep in my spirit, just bothered me and I didn't want to watch it. Enough of that stuff happens in real life. I don't need to see it on television. I remember when I was probably eight years old, nine years old. I don't remember exactly. We were on family vacation and we were staying in a motel. And, um, you know, back in the ancient days, you only had three channels to watch on television. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have a lot of choices there in the motel. We turned on an old Western movie and we didn't typically watch Western movies, but I, I can remember a bit of it. I think Henry Fonda was in it, and that's a name. Some of you would go who? Others of you would say, "Oh yeah," um, but he, you know. And, and is it was, it was in this movie, and the very first scene took place at a general store in this western town. Year, you know, back in the back in a long time ago, and and uh, this guy and his son walk into the store, and they're just minding their own business, and a couple of bullies walk in, and they start giving grief to the store owner and threatening him and smashing stuff, and. And though, so this, this father goes over and tries to intervene, and they end up turning on him, and the net result is he gets stabbed to death. And I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I can still picture it. I was sitting at the end of the bed on the floor, and I'm just sobbing. And I think I scared my parents half to death. They're like, it's just television. And I think, I know it's just television, but this kind of stuff happens. And somewhere deep in my spirit, I knew that this was representative of all the unfair things that go on in our world. As I've gotten older, I realize how many unfair things happen to all of us. And when I read Psalm 37, I had this sense of David saying... There's a lot of unfair stuff that goes on in this world. It seems to me, if I put the psalm in a nutshell, and we only read the first six verses, but all the other verses combined with it, it seems to me there is this sense of David saying, God, why is it that ungodly people prosper and righteous people don't? What are you doing? Does it mean nothing for us to follow you? Doesn't mean nothing for people to reject you. I look around and what I see are people who have turned away from you being prosperous and people who are following you not being. So, what's going on? And on top of that, it's not, you get the sense, it's not just this is unfair, but there is also a sense of envy. Well, if you're going to give those people good things, you couldn't give me a few too. And David is crying out to God, what's going on? Life isn't fair. And then he sort of answers his own question. You see, woven throughout this psalm, this repeated idea that we handle that, we sort of deal with our envy by remembering that all this stuff that people are accumulating is going to disappear in a flash. You see verses 1 and 2, it says, Don't fret because of evil people or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. Verse 17, the power of the wicked will be broken. Verse 20, the wicked will perish they will, the Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. And one of the reasons why we struggle with this whole idea of why ungodly people prosper and why righteous people don't is because we have somehow shifted our focus to the, the, what the people are getting. And what this world tells us is success. Fame, power, wealth, position, all of these things that that we value so much as a culture and society, we're looking at those things and thinking, that's what it means to live. Now, we know that's not the case. We know that the moment we die, whatever wealth we've accumulated is gone. And we all know that the moment we die, whatever power we have gained is gone. And whatever fame we've accumulated is gone. We know that. We all know that when we die, we don't take it with us. But we struggle to live as though we believe that. And we spend a whole lot of our time trying to accumulate things, wealth, power, fame, all of this stuff. Because somewhere in the back of our minds, we believe that that's success. And so no wonder we get irritated with God when ungodly people get that stuff and righteous people don't. Because if we were creating a formula, good people get the good stuff and bad people get the bad stuff. And it doesn't work that way. There's not, that isn't the formula in the way things happen. Now good people sometimes do get good stuff and certainly bad people end up with bad things. But there's a lot of the other going on too. And we need to shift our focus. You know, it's not just about what happens in eternity. People who have accumulated all of their lives getting all of this stuff, if they're honest, would be the first people to tell you it isn't what I thought it was. It doesn't do what I thought it was going to do. That place deep down in my spirit that I was hoping this wealth would fill, that I was hoping this fame would fill, that I was hoping this power would fill, it doesn't do it. And whether people admit it or not, just look at at their actions. If it truly filled it, then when John Rockefeller was asked how much money does it take to make you happy, he would not have said just a little bit more. And if it, were true, if it truly filled what we were looking for, then corporate executives who have more money than they know what to do with wouldn't raid the pension funds of their employees who are trying to eke out a living. Just because it was a thrill, because they just needed and wanted more. It's always intrigued me that so many people in, entertainment, in the entertainment industry, and if we had the opportunity, we'd probably do this too... Who spend so much of their lives trying to get to the place where people recognize them. And then they spend the rest of their lives trying to hide from the people who recognize them. Right? I mean, they want to walk down the red carpet and everyone ooh and ah and then they complain because paparazzi keep showing up at their house to take more pictures of them. Or adoring fans are stalking them. Because it just doesn't do what they thought it was going to do. And we can get sucked in to that mindset. And David is saying, that's not what we're looking for. That isn't the measure of success. God is. The kingdom is not about what you can accumulate now. The kingdom is about God. And so over and over again, not only does David say, remember that stuff is fleeting. He says, if you want to, if you're going to get through this this struggle we have about life being unfair and wrestling with that, the the only solution is to focus on God. And he begins in verse 3 and says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn. You get the feeling David doesn't quite know the exact word to describe what he's talking about. And so he just keeps piling on verbs. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. Over and over, just trying to think of a way that will connect with all of us. And what he's really saying is, make God your passion. Make God your passion. And when God is your passion, when he is your focus then this other stuff that we grasp for looks like it really looks. And it doesn't seem to matter quite as much. Now, we still are bothered about life being unfair. And we ought to commit ourselves to do everything we can to bring about justice in the world of injustice. We ought to be working for about things related to poverty and hunger. And, and we ought to be making decisions about the environment. And we, we, ought to, we ought to be doing whatever we can. To bring justice to bear on our world that's filled with injustice. But at some level it's beyond us. At some level we cannot change the way this fallen broken world operates. And we have to trust God. We have to trust God that despite what we see and feel, He's in control. He is still the sovereign God, and He is good. It's hard to do, though, when things aren't happening the way we'd like them to. And so later on, David talks about waiting for the Lord. And that's so hard to wait for the Lord. But waiting and trusting are always connected. And I, it seems to me that... All the good gifts of God tend to involve waiting. They tend to involve stopping, waiting, because waiting builds trust. And trust builds relationship. And relationship is what God is after. Because it's only in intimacy with God that we experience what we're really yearning for in that deep place in our, in our lives, in our hearts... Love, joy, peace, real life from the one who gave us life. Now God doesn't make us wait because he just gets a thrill out of that. You know, it's not like he's some mad scientist in the laboratory trying to, you know, build some concoction that's going to throw us off. He just knows that we tend to go our own way when life is good and we get everything we want. But when we have to wait when we are forced to decide about trusting, we are much more apt to turn to Him and to rely on Him. You see it through the history of Israel over and over and over again, and we see it through the history of God's people. And God will put us in a position where we wait, where we have to choose to trust, because He knows that more often than not, that's the only way He's going to get us to turn to Him. In verse 3, he talks about, it says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. how the NIV translates that, The New American Standard says, uh, dwell in the land and, and cultivate faithfulness. Robert Alter says that, he translates it, dwell in the land and keep faith. And he says that this, the, the literal sense of keep faith is to shepherd faith or to chase faith. And I have in this image in my mind of, 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 of course, David being a shepherd, of, of a shepherd out looking for that lost sheep, like Jesus describes in a parable. And, and he's so passionate about finding that sheep, he will chase it anywhere he needs to chase it in order to get it. And when he says chasing trust, that's not like, you know, chasing windmills. That's not like chasing some dream that we're never going to reach. This is about passion. It's about being so committed to learning to trust God that whatever road God takes us, we'll take it. However low it goes, high it goes, winding, curving, rocky, whatever, we will take it because we are enamored with learning how to trust God. Because we are convinced God is sovereign and God is good. And only God can give us, fill our lives with what we seek. And sometimes God... His path is, is difficult for us, and he allows us to face some tough things. We have to believe it's in our best interest. Don Joy was a professor at Asbury when Cindy and I were students there. and I heard him tell this story, and I've seen him write about it, written about it as well. When his son Mike was 16, he bought a car, and it was, I mean, if you picture in your mind a junker, it was that and then worse. And he said, you know, it was what a 16-year-old could afford. We probably all, if we've been through that stage, have had those kinds of cars. And um, he got it home. It wasn't very long before it began to leak radiator fluid. So he poured more in, bought some antifreeze, poured it in. And within two days, it was all drained out again. So he took it to someone to have it fixed. And there was a leak. And the guy fixed it. And he, you know, it's a pretty good-sized bill. Puts more antifreeze in and uh, it isn't very long before one of the hoses, it's all cracked and old and it bursts. So he has a friend who says, look, I'll help you do this. So the guy helps him. They get it fixed. What they don't realize is that in the process of fixing it, he drives a screw through the lining of the radiator. And so a couple of days later, there goes all the antifreeze out on the ground again. And so he's got to buy more of that and he's got to get that fixed. And he's piling up this bill. And the meanwhile, the car is just sitting in the driveway. So Don said he and his wife talked through this, what they should do. He said, we came up with three options. One was to, um, uh, to really get on him for making a bad decision of buying this bad car. Another was to give him the money he needed to pay for the repairs. And the third was to let him deal with it on his own. And he said, we chose option three. I'm re, I remember hearing him telling this story in class. I'm thinking, I don't think I could choose option three. I think I'd choose option two. It'd be killing me. And he said, there were so many times where he wanted to reach into his back pocket, pull out his wallet and hand his son the cash because it was just breaking his heart. His son has this car and here he's had it for a couple months and it's just sat in the driveway for all but two days. And he's got all this money he has to pay out. But they let him do it. And he finally worked enough made the payments and dealt with it. And they said, you know, if he's going to learn about what it means to be an adult, maybe this is a good time to learn. And so they let him. And it was hard. And his son didn't always understand it. But he said now his son is grown, he's married, he has a family, and he is an entrepreneurial businessman with a number of employees. And he said, I go to him for financial and business advice. And there is something of... God's work in our lives in that. We think God isn't operating, isn't moving, isn't doing what we want him to do, that he's not, he's not addressing the unfairness of things that are going on in our lives and lives of others. We think that's because God doesn't care. And David is saying, oh, no, 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 God cares more than you could ever know. In fact, he cares so much That he wants something more for you than just these things that you think are so valuable. He wants something so much deeper. So much more. And he's not willing to settle for the stuff that we're often willing to settle for. I don't know exactly where we might fall on a on a trust continuum. Some of you may be here this morning and thinking to yourself, I have no concept of trusting God. I've never done that. I, I don't I don't have no idea what that's even about. Others of you I know have been trusting God for decades, and a lot of us in between. But I'm convinced that wherever we might be on this continuum, Every single one of us needs to continue to learn lessons of trust. Every single one of us needs to figure out a deeper way of trusting God. And somehow to count it joy, as Jesus says in, in the Beatitudes, Somehow to count it joy when life doesn't go the way we think it should. Because we're convinced that the sovereign God who is good is at work in deeper ways than we imagine. Are we willing in this year to come to commit ourselves about being passionate for God? wherever He leads us, wherever He takes us, so that when we come to next May, or whatever marker you want to make, we look back and we can say with complete honesty, I'm trusting God more than I was then because His Spirit is at work in me. And I know He's good and sovereign. Father, in this moment of silence, speak to us, hear our prayers. Father, I suspect that for every one of us there is something that's come to our minds this morning that you, to which you're calling us to take some step of faith and trust. It may be waiting. It may be acting. Something. Something. Help us to see the deeper purposes of you in our lives and in this world and in the church. That we might respond to whatever that is by trusting you. Fill us with a passion for you through Christ. Amen.